Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. KubeCon, Cloud NativeCon conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. The vendor neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, Core DNS, Container D, and more. Hey everyone, here for another episode of the News Tag Makers, and I'm very excited about uh, the discussion today. It's about GitOps, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with the concept. We're here with the team from Weaveworks. We're going to be talking about Flux and how Flux fits in with GitOps and how really Flux comes out of GitOps itself. And so joining us for the conversation today are Alexis Richardson, founder and CEO of Weaveworks, Uh, Cornelia Davis, chief technology officer at Weaveworks. Hey, Cornelia. Hello. Thank you for having me. You bet. And Stefan Prodan, developer experience engineer at Weaveworks, the architect of Flux2 and Flagger. Thanks for joining us, Stefan. Thank you. So the topic is continuous delivery in the context of GitOps. And this is really where we get to understand how Flux uh, uses these GitOps practices. Um, So we're going to be talking about the Flux roots, the GitOps toolkit, uh, the operators and how they fit with Flux the integrations that we're seeing with Flux and the next evolution for the project. And so maybe, Stefan, to start, you can give us a description of Flux and how it fits with GitOps and, you know, and its, and its, core, and its uh, core tenants. Sure. So the current Flux implementation, the V1 implementation that everybody uses, um, it's a very simple model. You deploy Flux on your cluster is a single pod. Then you configure Flux and say, hey, I want my whole cluster uh, to be reconciled from a specific Git repository. And you tell it, hey, there is my Git repository. And from that moment on, any change you make in your uh, repo, um, Flux will pull that change and will apply it on the cluster. That's uh, um, really, you know, best way of describing Flux. Uh, it does uh, other things as well. It can monitor, um, let's say, uh, container registries, and you can say, hey, if a new uh, container image is pushed to my registry, please update the Git repository for me, then apply that change on the cluster. So it also um, deals with uh, continuous uh, uh, delivery of specific apps. So uh, when you think about GitOps and Flux, Cornelia, you know, your background is in building out these at-scale architectures. And this really is a process that brings uh, the continuous delivery out of uh, Kubernetes itself. And what are the advantages of that for people? And, and what is, how does Flex uh, reflect that? Yeah, so um, continuous delivery. So there's two elements that I want to touch upon here. 
One is that historically, we have been talking about continuous delivery as almost a part of continuous integration. So we have referred to it as CICD. It's almost one word. And what you're alluding to there, Alex, is that we are, in fact, um, more loosely coupling those things. So we are, instead of just making a delivery at the end of our continuous integration pipeline, which goes ahead and delivers something to Kubernetes, for example, is you could just do kubectl apply as your last step in CI. What we're doing with Flux and the way that Stefan just described it is we are, in fact, from within the cluster saying, you know what, this isn't a one-time thing. Continuous delivery is something that happens in a reconciliation loop. It's constantly changing and constantly in need of reconciliation. Um, that continuous delivery changes that nature because of this reconciliation loop. The other thing that I want to add, and I'll just tee it up for now because I think we can spend a little bit more time thinking about it, is that you also, Alex, talked about GitOps. And um, GitOps is more than just continuous delivery. It actually takes the delivery process and it says, how does that delivery process relate to ongoing operations? Mm -hmm. So it's delivery. And then what's actually happening in my cluster from a runtime perspective? And how does that relate back to continuous delivery? So they're kind of dancing next to each other and in, in concert together. Mm -hmm. Dancing next to each other and and also talking to each other. Yep. And GitOps, Stefan, is really about achieving that desired state, isn't it? And you know, when you achieve when you so what you're doing is you're trying to reach this desired state, and that's where issues such as rollback access control become important, which is a key tenant of of uh, Git. Yeah. So you, you can think about the security model moving from just Kubernetes accounts and role-based access inside the cluster through outside the cluster, through your, um, uh, let's say, um, change management system. That's Git, right? So you can work with pull requests. You can have your team approving a change and so on. And there is a, a different aspect to that as well. When, when those changes reaches the cluster, how do you know that? whoever did that change is authorized to, to make that change happen inside the cluster. Maybe someone uh, takes over your GitHub account, for example. And how we, we are trying to solve this, um, this security issue from, from both sides with Flux is uh, using, for example, PGP keys. So you can tell Flux, hey, even if someone makes a change, someone makes a commit, it has to be made by someone with this cryptographic signature. And verify that that's the right signature before you, you actually do the change on the cluster. So from a security perspective, you have like two layers. One is, one is on, the, on the Git side and one is what's happening inside the cluster. And with, with Flux V2, we, we want to take this one step further and enable um, multi-tenancy inside the cluster where um, different repositories have different access rights inside the cluster. So it's a three-layer <laughs> security process, approval. Mm. So with Git, as I understand it, no, as, as Flux, as I understand it, so it ensures in, in, in that the state of a cluster 
matches the configuration in Git. And it uses an operator in the cluster to trigger deployments inside Kubernetes. So that means you, you don't have to have a separate continuous delivery tool. It also monitors relevant image repositories. It detects new images. It triggers deployments and updates the desired running configuration based on that. So it's a, it, it, it allows them for that configurable policy. I, I like to know the role of the operator in the cluster for triggering deployment. That seems to be a kind of a, a core aspect of what we're talking about. Can you tell us about that operator? Flux uh, right now, it's built like a monolith. It does a, a bunch of things. Um, one thing that it does, it connects to your Git repository and deals with authentication on authorization regarding to that repository. That's one side. Another side is it scans your container registries. And another side is it applies all changes from Git to the cluster, detects drift inside the cluster, and tries to correct it. Right? So the, the reconciliation part is just one thing that Flux does. It's not the only thing. And what we are trying to do is, uh, with the next version of Flux is bringing these uh, different components, uh, making them their own thing so you can uh, better have control on each aspect of what Flux currently does today. And the reconciliation process, like any other Kubernetes um, controllers, like let's say the uh, built-in controllers, like the deployment controller, it, uh, it periodically scans what's happening inside the system. And if, if that state matches what's described in uh, ETCD, which is the uh, database of, of Kubernetes, right? So it tries to reconcile ETCD configuration with what's actually running inside your infrastructure. What Flux is doing is looking at Git instead of ETCD and, and um, synchronizes Git with ETCD. Then the native Kubernetes controllers take over and do their own thing. So Flux in a way is like um, an, an operator on top of all of those uh, built-in or others operators as well. Yeah, if I can add to that, um, what Stefan is describing, I like to, it helps me to organize these things in my head in that what we have is we have a set of delivery controllers, and that's what I meant by continuous delivery is only the first part of GitOps. We've got delivery controllers, and that's what Stefan was talking about, that the original Flux had quite a number of different capabilities in that controller or that operator, if you will. It checked image repositories, it checked Git. It was making sure that everything that was in Git and in the image repositories was appropriately being delivered to the cluster. And then as Stefan said, in some ways we sometimes forget that Kubernetes actually has all of these runtime controllers that are making it so. So it is, it's the you know replica set controller, the deployment controller that's making sure that what you've delivered actually is running. And I call those those runtime controllers. So GitOps is about the combination of delivery controllers and runtime controllers. Now in the intros, and maybe I might tee this up, but you can defer it to later, is that in addition to Stefan working on delivery controllers and in this 
next version of Flux that we are that he's been architecting and delivering. He's also the architect of Flagger, which falls in the category of runtime controllers. It's a GitOps controller, but it's on the runtime side. It's less about delivery. It's connected to delivery, but it's more around making sure that your runtime is ha- the things in the runtime are happening in an appropriate way. Mm. So there's a lot here. So the version one is a monolith, essentially, and you've described it here. And I know that you're experimenting with this GitOps toolkit. Can you tell us about the, the, the toolkit and why you're focusing on it? It's relatively new, as I understand. Yes, we, we've been working on, on the toolkit since, I think, three months now. Um, what we, we are trying to achieve with the toolkit is uh, get to a stage where we can build Flux version 2 out of the toolkit component. So first stage was breaking down Flux uh, into specialized controllers. Um, rewrite those controllers with uh, modern tooling. For example, we chose to write the toolkit with uh, Kubernetes runtime uh, libraries and uh, specifically KubeBuilder for helping us, uh, you know, creating all these things um, faster, easier, and so on. So that's the technological advancement that we made from Flux V1 that's developed start developed like four years ago to the to the current state. So we are, Kubernetes has evolved a lot, so Flux should evolve along with Kubernetes. So that's that's one thing we did. We, we broke down Flux into these specialized controllers, and that allows us to implement features that are, uh, that were being requested by Flux users for a long time, like um, being able to deal with multi-tenancy in, in a, easier way without deploying one flux per tenant or uh, being able to reconcile the cluster state from multiple repositories, not just one. For example, uh, let's assume not everybody uses uh, mono repositories, right? Maybe you have a repo per team or a repository per application. And the, the deployment manifest of those particular microservices could be located in the same repository as the source code. So the toolkit will be able to uh, reach out to all the sources, make sense out of them, giving them an identity inside the cluster. So you can say um, the front-end team, for example, is only allowed to deploy in these namespaces under this service account. So they cannot play something by mistake in their repository that could, let's say, wipe the database uh, namespace. So all these things, um, um, can be easily implemented when you have dedicated controllers for each step. So multi-tenancy is managed by its own thing. Um, the container registry scanning and uh, all things that are doing with registry uh, shouldn't sh- you shouldn't have to run all these um, scanners on all your clusters. Let's say you have a fleet of clusters and you use only one cluster to monitor your container registry and so on. Um, also, we, we, we've developed for a long time now um, a, a thing called Helm Operator, which uh, makes Helm uh, fit in the, into the GitOps mind, uh, mindset where you um, 
declare how Helm releases should happen in your cluster by uh, using Kubernetes custom resources. So it's just an YAML that you place in your Git repository and that YAML is like a policy that tells the operator how a Helm release should be uh, enacted inside the cluster. And Helm operator and Flux shared a lot of things like they both connect Git repositories, you have to set up this kind of authentication twice and so on. What we made was we uh, we created a thing called source controller, which is a, a, a specialized thing that only deals with Git. So be it Flux, be it Helm operator, be it any other controller in the future, if they want to get things from a Git repository, the artifacts from there, they, they need to talk to source controller and source controller uh, deals with authentication, authorization, PGP, uh, key verification, and so on. So the toolkit is more like a thing that you as an op uh, Kubernetes operator, you can choose different things from that toolkit and build your own continuous delivery platform with, with those things. Yeah, what Stefan just said there at the end is, is kind of the, it's the punchline. That's where the money is. What we did in Flux version one was we came up with our concept of what these GitOps goals or these GitOps pipelines, GitOps-based workflows are. And we said, okay, we will watch, you know, we'll watch Git repositories, watch for your configuration changes, we'll watch image repositories. And we have a very specific way of you setting up your, your roles and your role-based access control. So we came up with, if you will, a GitOps pipeline or a GitOps workflow. What Stefan has done by with the toolkit is we are allowing, we're democratizing that process. It's not about Weaveworks deciding what your GitOps pipeline should be. It is about enabling you as the organization to decide what your GitOps pipelines are and to be able to build those yourself. So do you have some special need to go off and do a, a separate approval or you need to check some other repository of something for some policy-based thing, you have the ability of doing that. That's really what the GitOps toolkit is about. It's about a toolkit for building up GitOps um, workflows. So the customer can build their own workflows. Hey, Alexis, quick question hey, for not. you now. Then Cornelia was just talking about GitOps workflows and providing the ability for the customer to develop the GitOps workflow. And I'm, you know, I, and we were talking about uh, the, the toolkit and how far the tool and where the and why the toolkit's being developed. What are you seeing from a customer point of view? Why GitOps is important? Why it's important for them to have this control and not told you know, instead of being told what what to do exactly? It's all part of the bigger trend of. Um you know, democracy and corporate IT. I mean, we saw this first with, um, you know, the idea of developers being the new kingmakers that was popularized by Stephen and James over at Red Monk. And, uh, you know, people like McKinsey would go and tell big corporations, hey, you'll be much more successful if you empower your teams. And we've got books like, you know, the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project, all about this. And, and now we have um, these agile teams delivering, uh, technology product in a sort of Silicon Valley style in big corporations like banks. That's a big change. And until coronavirus, they'd all moved into, you know, funky, shiny offices. And it was almost like you could be in downtown, you know, SF. Um, but, you know, the 
the consequence of that is you really do have to take responsibility. And as soon as you take responsibility for delivery, you start to think about things in a different way. And it's like, you know, if you want people to take it seriously, give them pages. That's what we always used to say. So that's the change. So that's the change. And so Cornelia, when you see that change in, you know, in the community, is there really that democratization of IT? Do you, are you really starting to see it? I was seeing uh, Fitton Ryan, a, an alum of, of Red Monk, who is now at Gartner, and he says basically things are still quite antiquated in that, you know, and, and, and we, all, we, always, we always try to make things simple, uh, but in the end, it's never simple at all. Fintan said today on, on Twitter, you don't have to use Kubernetes for everything. I was really, really horrified to hear him say this, this scandalous statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think the answer, Alex, is that we tell this beautiful story and it does exist out there. And the Zalandos out there and the Monzo banks, you know, out there, they are doing this and they are, they have hugely empowered their Developers, although I'm going to put air quotes around that because we have to decide the developer is actually defined a bit differently than they were in the past. Um, so, yeah, there, there's that. But I think in at scale, there is still a little bit more of a divide. And so when we talk about the developer here, we're not necessarily saying that we want to give every single person who's writing that mobile app or that web app the ability to create their clusters and create their own GitOps pipelines and, and all of those types of things. The developer that we're talking about here, and again, I'm using the air quotes, is the developer of the platform, the self-service platform for the developers who are building the mobile apps and the web apps. And so rather than burdening everyone in an organization, 5,000 developers in, let's say, something like a Citibank or something like that, burdening them with the entire stack, including figuring out how they're going to do their own GitOps processes, is that we have a platform team, that they're the ones that are now empowered to do that. Um, and again, but they're empowered to do that as opposed to having an organization like WeaveWorks decide this is the way it'll go. Or Alex, you know that I spent a lot of time on Cloud Foundry, which was highly opinionated. It was like, here are the ways that your developers should work. Part of what we're trying to do here is empower the platform teams to decide what the right working arrangements are for the developers in their organization. So it's, it's a bit of a middle of the road. But it feels like a paradox of sorts because, you know, uh, while you're trying to make it simpler, what I'm hearing to Stevan to talk about is very complicated. How do you, how do you approach the like development of an operator, you know, in, you know, in this, you know, in this type of scenario, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, making things more democratic, it doesn't necessarily democratic does that mean simple democratic means, um, you know, more egalitarian. And so, you know, I'm curious about the development of this operator and how do you think about that in the context of the user so the experience is better, so it is more egalitarian. You won't need a special six-month online university from Google just to write an operator. It's going to be easier than that. The other thing that I'll add is that we aren't asking necessarily even the platform teams to build a whole bunch of operators. That's a big part of what the toolkit is about, is that Stefan is describing the construction of a number of operators 
the source controller, the, that operator, which is all about communicating with Git and those types of things. Another controller, which is all about delivering things into the cluster. Another one that does so in a Helm um, flavor. Those are toolkit components. And now the democratization, their, their tool set isn't just creating new con controllers. Theirs is about wiring those controllers together in the workflows that make sense for them. And there's precedent for this in things like um, even Terraform, where there's there are you know a whole bunch of different providers and people aren't building providers. They're just using a set of abstractions to glue together the things that they want to automate in their infrastructure. So Stefan, what's your approach? Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen early on uh, working on the toolkit, uh, the complexity it brings with having all these Kubernetes custom resources. So let's say you know how to write a deployment YAML or you take it from somewhere, copy paste it, you modify it and okay, here is how I'm deploying my app. But we are coming with our own API. Uh, you define Git repositories, you define how those repositories are being reconciled on the cluster and so on. So it brings a lot of uh, um, pressure on the on the platform team. What what uh, we've been developed um, we've been working on is a CLI that lets you with autocomplete and everything let you compose these. Let's say choose the toolkit controllers that you want to deploy. So it's a command like install. I want these things, and then I want to add the Git repository. Is add create Git repository and does that for you. Uh, it creates all those uh, uh, API manifests. It commits those manifests for you on the on the Git repo and so on. And we're trying to improve the, the user experience around onboarding things and inside your, your infrastructure. So for example, we have a command that knows how you give it your um, GitHub token and it creates a uh, repository for you on GitHub. It adds the teams that you want to own that repository there. It creates service accounts for you and so on. So we are trying to counter the complexity of all these custom resources with a CLI tool and at some point maybe a UI, a, a user interface that you know you you don't have to. If you mistype something, your cluster will not be broken <laughs> in the end. I want to ask then about what you're seeing customers do, Alexis. How are how are they approaching continuous delivery? Why wouldn't they just use a technology, you know, something like Spinnaker or you know one of the more well-established continuous delivery tools out there? What what is it about Flux that you're trying to do, you know that the open source community and WeaveWorks is trying to do to differentiate? So I think. Flux re recently came first in a CNCF end user survey of, I think, 150 uh, customers to ask them, what are you using for continuous deployment? And uh, Flux and Helm were the winners. Um, there's a reason for this, which is I think they're both very, very simple to use, and they are Kubernetes native generation uh, technologies, which means that they work in the way that Kubernetes wants you to work. So anything you want to do with Kubernetes, Flux is aligned with doing. And I think the challenge for Flux is not making Kubernetes better, but more integrating with more things outside of Kubernetes. Tools like Spinnaker um, come from a previous legacy generation of 
setting up a particular set of VMs on Amazon. That was the original use case at Netflix and are very richly featured for things like, you know, release plans and so on and smoke testing. But ultimately, shoehorning them into the Kubernetes world has proven to be a challenge. And they're very much tied to a CI way of thinking where everything is a kind of process. And what we found that customers are asking for the most is, I've got my CI in place. What's the easiest way to add CD to that? And what we're showing them is the easiest way is actually to use this really cool reconciliation uh, concept that GitOps enables. And people really like that. Cornelia, when you're thinking about you know how uh, customers are adapting, a lot of them must still be using tools like Jenkins. Now, how are they? You know, how are they? You know, applying Flux to you know these environments where they've been using these continuous integration tools for so long. The the brilliant thing is that uh, we are we don't want to disrupt that CI. CI is quite mature and it has proven its value. And this notion of all the things that happen when you check in code and the linting and the building of images and, and all of those types of things, we don't want to disrupt that. And that is a pretty kind of linear process, if you will. And sure, part of that might be, and part of CI processes are always almost always some of those steps are running in containers and those types of things. Um, and so we don't want to disrupt that. Uh, what we want to do is we want to take the best of the CI. And what we're saying is that CD is actually inherently different, particularly continuous delivery into an environment that is eventually consistent, like Kubernetes. In the cloud, you're never done. And so what we are saying with continuous delivery is that continuous delivery is also never done. Continuous integration, you are done. You check in some code, you run the tests you need to run, and at some point you're done running those tests. But delivery is an ongoing process. So we're not trying to disrupt Jenkins. We're not trying to disrupt your, your Circle CI. Continue to use those things. Um, but when it comes to that next step of actually delivering it through your software development lifecycle across the different environments, your UAT environment, your staging environment, and your, um, and your pr production environment, that's where these reconciliation-based things that Alexis was just talking about are really helpful. So again, the short of it is CI is still there. CI is still there. Uh, let's move into discussions about integrations and how you're working with uh, Helm. And Helm has had overwhelming popularity, um, you know, as a package manager. And it's really how people are, you know, uh, taking that Kubernetes plumbing and then and then actually being able to use it. And uh, so, how does uh, Flux fit in with? Uh, with Helm and maybe Alexis, you can start with just talking with us a bit about the big picture of that. And what does that reflect to you about kind of the evolution of, of, of what people are trying to do at scale? I think the little, the big picture is a bit too big to see from one, from one person's position. Um, what we're finding is that the, the potential for GitOps is very large and um, you can only see little bits of it at a time. If you mention Helm, I think there are two things that really stand out about Helm one of which is it's very easy for people to pick up and use, which I mentioned previously. And the other is it gives you a way of dealing with multiple different environments through a templating system. 
And that, I think, is the the door opening to how you think about um, fleets, uh, pipelines, uh, groups, and other scalable ways of dealing with multiple clusters. Because what you want in GitOps is you want to have a very compact set of information that you use to describe all of your estate. Obviously, if you have a thousand different things, then you'll need a thousand different ways to describe them. But most people don't have a thousand different things. They have a small number of um, parameters of their application they need to change and then roll it out across the whole fleet. So for example, you might have um, 100, 100 um, nodes in a cluster which are configured exactly the same except for a couple of small changes on each node. You should be able to describe that very simply. And I think Helm is showing us the way to do that. The next thing is, though, um, how are we going to make that easy for the majority of application developers out there who don't necessarily want to learn Kubernetes? And I think we're seeing a new generation of tools appear that could be the answer to this. Um, a lot of us have been experimenting in the community with TypeScript, which I think is a very interesting way to go. And there are also other ideas from new languages, like um, you may have seen something. Is it, is it Quell? I can't remember how, do you, how you pronounce it. And there's also Q from Google, which are like sort of very, um, they're almost like DSLs for um, scaling configuration management. We don't know which one is going to be the right way forward, but we'll certainly support customers in whatever is a good way to do it. Ah, uh, so. Cornelia, the Cornelia, the evolution of programming languages. Here we are. <laughs> oh, there's so much. We've been touching upon some of those things as we've talked about this dance between the, the delivery controllers and the runtime controllers. There's a whole programming model exercise in there. But I, I did want to add a little bit more to what Alexis was saying on Helm. You know, Helm is a great packaging format, but in order to deploy Helm, there's a great deal of configuration that needs to happen there as well. And so just like configuring you know, raw, raw deployment manifests that aren't bundled up as Helm charts. As Alexis alluded to, there's values, there's a templating language there. And so there is this element of configuring your Helm deployment as a part of the delivery. And that's, it, that's exactly the pattern that GitOps and continuous delivery, the GitOps way of doing continuous delivery uh, fits into that as well. Configuring as home deployment. So Stefan, tell me about kind of going forward with Flux. What are some of the things you're you're building upon? What are the integrations you're building upon? What is what is the next generation of, of, of Flux? What is it that you're that you're building? Um, I guess it's kind of the continuous development of the of the toolkit to some extent. Yeah, for example, with Helm, we uh, we've seen that. It's an easy way to bundle configuration changes along with code changes. So when you change something in your application, that results in a container image. But maybe that change is coupled with a configuration change, let's say an environment variable or a new API key or, or things like that. So in order to deliver that new version consistently across your fleet, you want to couple the two and, and deliver them uh, in a transactional way. And what we are, we are doing with uh, Flux V2 and the GitOps Toolkit, the new uh, Helm implementation, we call it Helm Controller. Uh, Helm Controller, you can say to Helm Controller, hey, every time I'm doing a new Helm chart release, make that upgrade across my fleet. And 
you can um, specify that upgrade policy using, uh, let's say, a Semver expression. You can say for any patch releases that could um, come with, I don't know, CV fixes or things that are uh, are not breaking changes and they should go directly in, into production, you can actually automate the whole process with with uh, with Flux V2 from a, from a Helm perspective. Another thing that we, we have added to, uh, to the Helm integration is the ability to deploy a Helm release, run the Helm tests for that release. If the test failed, do an automatically rollback of that release to the previous one. So this is something that we allow people to define through a custom resource in Git repository. Say, hey, I want to install this version. If it fails, roll it back to the to the previous one, and uh, that gives you more confidence in in how you deal with uh, continuous delivery. Uh, another integration point we are working on is bringing Flagger inside the toolkit and make it work better uh, uh, with the tooling. Uh, Flagger deals with uh, progressive delivery, where you deploy a new version in your um, in your cluster, and you say, "I want to test this new version on a segment of my users, not on all of them." And if let's say one percent of your users uh, will end up on the new version, Flagger then observes how that um, how those users are doing. Are they running into errors? Maybe the new version has latency issues and so on, Flagger will roll it back. And we want to better integrate this uh, this process into, into the GitOps pipeline. Alexis, I want to just ask you before we go about these new generation of tools you're seeing, who do you see as kind of your peers in this community of other tools that are kind of similar in this vein to Flux? Um, a load of folks that we're integrating with. So if you take what Stefan said, and extrapolate it. You know, it's not just about Helm and Flagger, but there's interesting tools out there like Tekton, which came out of Google. Uh, we see people using that with Flux for GitOps pipelines. Um, Argo CD, of course, where we've been talking to them on and off about how to fit those two projects more closely together. Uh, Argo Workflows already works with GitOps Toolkit. Um, then you have things like Pulumi, uh, Terraform, um, there's a couple of new things that are coming out of some of the um, cloud vendors, like, um, you know, Azure Arc. I don't know if you noticed, if you watch very closely, in the live demo where they announced that at Microsoft Ignite in November, Gabriel Monroy gave a Flux demo because GitOps is actually how Azure Arc works to provide compliance. Um, we're seeing similar things from other cloud vendors, and I think there's going to be a lot more coming at KubeCon and in the you know industry conference season, or however that works now. Cornelia, just in conclusion, to help us uh, uh, finish out this discussion, what is it about these new new approaches that uh, that changes in many ways how technologists are viewing their own existing infrastructures and uh, architectures? You have a lot of experience in seeing this, you know, over the years. And so I'm just curious on your perspective here before we conclude. 
Yeah. So I'll start with Kubernetes because Kubernetes did something quite significant. They brought to the forefront this concept of you're never done in the cloud, in this new modern operational way of doing things, you're never done. There's always something left to be done. And that's why it's entirely based on this reconciliation model. And so it's really about that and extending that not only into the things I often say that Kubernetes um, container orchestration was just use case one for Kubernetes. Mm. This is about extending that to a broader set of concerns. So you're not only operating pods, you are still operating virtual machines. You are, in fact, your Kubernetes clusters are oftentimes running on virtual machines. So you need to do operations there. There's a whole host of other um, systems that you're using in the enterprise to continue to do operations. So this is all about really modernizing operations, cloud native operations in the in, in a way that we had already done on the development side. So we had gone to microservices over the last 10, 15 years. So we had gone cloud native in understanding our software architectures. This is all about going cloud native, reconciliation-based for operations. Well, great. This has been a fantastic discussion. What's your thoughts on the CNCF these days and, and how they're doing as an organization in terms of how they're um, you know, helping with this community as we move forward with cloud native. I mean, obviously things went really downhill after I left. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, they've, they've been doing a fantastic job. I'm really, I couldn't be happier as somebody who was involved a lot more a couple of years ago, as you know, um, you know, we, we keep making changes to the CNCF to make it into a better thing. That's one of my favorite things about it is that it's, it's run by a group of really committed and passionate people who know how to iterate on a project. And this is a growing thing. You know, we have a larger TOC now. We have more diversity in the TOC. We have people coming not only from, you know, underrepresented minorities, but also from different roles in the industry. More end users are coming in, which we saw with Cloud Foundry very successfully. And we expanded to have special interest groups around continuous deployment, app delivery as being one, observability is another. That's going really well. And that's leading to more projects, more people, and more happy end users. So that I think is really fantastic. I think the big challenge that I'm involved with at the moment is making the CNCF work incredibly well for small independent software vendors. We're trying to figure out how to get that right because there's a few challenges there. You have a project like Flux or Buoyant, you know, with, with Linkerd, you, you get people contributing from the community and you want to have a long-term relationship with this person without hiring them so that you can maintain a diverse community. How do you do this? And we, we've got some challenges to fix that. But otherwise, excellent. Anything, Cornelia, you'd like to add to that? Oh, no, I I, I, uh, I think Alexis summed that up extremely well. Um, it is an, it, a real honor to be a part of uh, the CNCF, and they provide tremendous value. Thank you all so much for your time. Uh, Stefan, I'll, I'll ask a, another question of you another time on the topic of, uh, of representing the community, but that's another topic for another, another day. So thank you all for your participation you. and look Thanks. forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. 
Listen to more episodes of the Newstack Makers at thenewstack.io slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. KubeCon, Cloud NativeCon conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. The vendor-neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, CoreDNS, ContainerD, and more.